Welcome to your New Mexico government. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. The special session is officially underway, although it may not look like it. Technical difficulties, anyone? Regardless of the internet connection in the capital, we have some connections that will keep you abreast of everything that takes place in Santa Fe. Joining me today, we have Dan McKay of the Albuquerque Journal. I talk with State Representative Antonio Mo Maestas and New Mexico PBS, our production partners, were kind enough to let me talk with Matt Grubbs and Gwyneth Doland about what we can expect from the special session. Today, we set the agenda straight. But it's not all legislative. We also dive into Dolan's interview with Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller about the police response to the shooting on Monday. But up next, KUNM's Hannah Colton brings us the news. Here's what we know today, Thursday, June 18th, as of 5 p.m. Coronavirus antibodies might stick around only two or three months after infection, CNBC reports. That's according to a new study out of China published in Nature Medicine that also found asymptomatic people had a weaker antibody response than those who'd had symptoms. Scientists still don't know whether COVID-19 antibodies provide any immunity to reinfection. Three weeks after Black Lives Matter protests sprung up across the nation, there's no evidence they've led to a surge in COVID cases. The Wall Street Journal reports early analysis of testing data from protesters in Minneapolis, Boston, Philadelphia, Seattle, and other cities shows no measurable uptick in infections related to the demonstrations. American Airlines kicked a passenger off of a flight for refusing to wear a mask, the BBC reports. While there's no federal law requiring face coverings on flights, all major U.S. airlines have been requiring them since mid-May. The Navajo Nation is reinstating weekend curfews through June to protect residents due to a surge in infections in areas surrounding the reservation, especially in Arizona. AZ Central reports that state saw its largest daily case number today with 2,519 new infections, and the number of hospitalizations hit a new high yesterday. Meanwhile, the Navajo Times reported Tuesday the nation itself had seen its lowest daily case increase since March. There were 94 new cases in New Mexico today, state officials say. The number of confirmed cases in the state is now 10,153. There were four more deaths, bringing the death toll to 456. The state issued a smoke advisory for the Rio Grande Valley from Taos to Las Cruces from 9 tonight through noon tomorrow due to wildfires burning in Arizona and southwest New Mexico, the Santa Fe reporter says. Smoke from fires may cause people infected with COVID-19 to have more severe reactions. For your New Mexico government, I'm Hannah Colton. To give us more understanding of what we can expect at the special legislative session, I'm on the line with Dan McKay, journalist for the Albuquerque Journal. Dan, thanks for being with me. Hi, thank you for having me on. So what are some things you're keeping your eye on for this special session? The agenda looks like it's pretty packed. The most pressing issue is making sure the state can balance its budget and have enough cash to pay the bills over the coming year. But the governor has added some other items to the agenda. There is uh, the potential for police reform, changes to the election code to allow voting by mail. There's some tax relief for businesses. It really is going to be a pretty busy agenda. Now, talk to me a little bit about the election reform 
I know it's centered around the ability to have mail-in ballots. Tell me a little bit about the specifics of that and also the chances of that passing. I kind of wonder if that may end up being the most controversial bill uh, on the agenda. Republicans in the past have pretty intensely fought some of these election changes. You know, it's kind of a debate that's probably familiar to a lot of people, but involving whether there are adequate protections against fraud, adequate requirements for voter identification, that kind of stuff. And this bill would authorize county clerks during a health emergency to mail ballots directly to voters who have a current address on file. That is, it sounds like kind of a small change because people can already vote by mail through absentee, but Mm -hmm. in the absentee process, the voter has to actually request a ballot, has to fill out an application. Mm -hmm. So Republicans have gone to court to fight efforts to to do more mail-in balloting. Basically, they want to keep the current system intact in which a person has to actually fill out an application. Mm-hmm. The, the reason for changing that, supporters say, is that it just creates so much more paperwork. Instead of, instead of just mailing a ballot back and forth, you've got two sets of things. You've got an application before you can do the ballot. Mm-hmm. There was a concern about whether the applications were getting processed in time. Basically, it's another sort of step in the process that can yeah. hold up people from voting. And, you know, we ended up with maybe 1,800 ballots at, at the minimum, absentee ballots this last election season that came in too late to be counted. So so there's a lot of concern, especially among Democrats, about making sure that people can vote be in the general by mail if they want and that and that everybody's vote gets counted. Okay, so we got the left eye on the budget, the right eye on election reform, our third eye. Should that be on police reform? And what's the case with that? Police reform could be incredibly consequential. It's hard to say whether it is going to turn into sort of the intensely controversial debate that election changes tend to be at the legislature. But there are three or four main components that they're looking at. But one is to require police to wear cameras. APD is one of the first departments or was one of the first departments in the country to do this. And those cameras, they give people sort of an eyewitness view of what happened versus just what people say happened. And that has played a role in the the shooting of of James Boyd, the the homeless camper in 2014. Yes. The camera view kind of contradicted some of uh, the police explanation of what had happened. So body cameras are a possibility. Uh, They have been controversial among Bernalillo County Sheriff has refused to outfit his deputies with them. Mm-hmm. I think one of the key questions will be whether they think local departments can afford to put body cameras on officers. Mm-hmm. The legislation would also ban chokehold restraints during arrests. That may not be as controversial as it sounds because it's my understanding a lot of departments already prohibit this. It's There have been deaths in New Mexico and I don't believe that it, it, it is taught or encouraged, although it may vary department by department. I didn't get the feeling that there's a lot of opposition to that. And then a third component would shed more light on the disciplinary history of officers. It would make it a public record if an officer is disciplined for 
you know, violating use of force protocols or something like that, mm-hmm. which would give the public, you know, much more information about who's in our police forces and whether they've been disciplined or had problems in the past. Oh, they're acting, yeah. I totally understand. Yep. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show, giving us a primer of what to expect over these next few days. He's Dan McKay, journalist for the Albuquerque Journal. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you, Khalil. I appreciate you having me on. Full swing with the special session. I'm on the line with my man, Mr. Matt Grubbs from New Mexico PBS. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well, Khalil. How are you? I'm doing okay. I am doing okay. Thank you, sir. So, what can we be looking forward to with the special session? A lot of action. All right. <laughs> we, we, as you and I talk, it's Wednesday afternoon, and uh, we just got a look at the governor's call for the session, which includes not just budget issues. They're looking at about a, a $2 billion hole for the budget that they passed last session that would have gone into effect on July 1. The outlook is based largely on oil and natural gas prices, mostly oil mm-hmm. right now. And we're looking at about $2 billion um, in shortfall. So that's that's a big issue for the state. Our state budget, as it was passed, was about $7.6 billion. They're going to get together and see if they can chip away at that and at least give the state enough room to maneuver until they come back in for a regular session in January, half a year later. Okay. Uh, in addition to that, we're looking at uh, police reform and potential election reform, as well as possibly some tax relief. So that's an that's an awful lot. So, Matt, tell me about the issue of qualified immunity, how it relates to police reform and what the state's doing. Well, qualified immunity is it's a legal doctrine that extends to um, public officials and it protects them from being personally named in a in a lawsuit seeking monetary damages, I believe. And so it's often used as a standard for police officers if they violate clearly established law. And it, it gets pretty legal pretty quickly, but it's. It's basically uh, among the civil rights attorneys in the state. It's something that's considered relatively easy for officers to hold up and to use as a defense, you know, in a in a civil lawsuit. And I've spoken to a number of civil rights attorneys in New Mexico, and they say that absent changes in the law, which don't come a whole lot um, in New Mexico with respect to this kind of stuff, that this is how reform happens. It's through civil lawsuits. In other words, if you can hold the government responsible and make it pay and make some of these people pay, then in fact, they start paying attention. And so the governor wants uh, to get a group of people to take a look at that and figure out if there's a way to address that in in state law to make it probably easier, is just the best way to put it, uh, to hold police officers accountable on the civil side of it. Okay. Finally, budget, budget, budget. How do you think they are going to propose filling this uh, shortfall that we're facing? It is really tricky. And I think for a lot of the people who are going to be doing this work, it is it is something they never thought that they would have to do. Um, we were finally kind of out of the clear. We had stopped pulling money from all these random state accounts to try to plug the holes that came out of the financial crisis from 2008, 2009. And now here we are again with a budget that has grown significantly. What we're looking at really is a likely decrease of raises that were promised for teachers and, and state employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 
differing opinions there. The governor wants to figure out a way to keep those at 2%. Um, they were proposed at 4 and the lawmakers are looking at probably a 1% um, increase if there's any increase at all. Um, okay. They seem to agree on taking money away from some of these one-time expenditures that they approved. Things like construction projects, road projects, not putting as much money into the newly created early childhood education fund that would sort of serve as a trust fund um, for future early childhood education programs. Um, some pretty ambitious stuff back when we were when we were flush. Yeah. And so they'll they'll take away from that. One of the things that I would watch is this um, idea that the state wants to use some federal money from the CARES Act to backfill holes in in the budget as they as they come up once this new fiscal year starts. Republicans have already said, hey, we don't think you can do that. They think there are restrictions uh, at the national level that's somewhat undecided. New Mexico's congressional delegation, all Democrats, is saying that no, we're fairly certain that um, you'll be allowed to use this federal money with broader discretion than it might appear. So there's going to be a little bit of a fight over that. And then, of course, it's just time. How quickly are they going to get in and get out? He's Matt Grubbs with New Mexico PBS. Thank you, my friend. I'll be talking to you after this session so we can recap. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. This is Your NM Government. I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're covering life during the pandemic and how what's happening affects us all differently. Tune in Wednesday through Friday at 7 p.m. here on KUNM or find the episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. My next guest is a representative of the 16th District of the great state of New Mexico. I'm talking with Mo Maestas. Representative Maestas, thanks for being with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. So you guys have a busy day ahead of you. Man, the busy day is right. We're going to change our rules to allow virtual presentations and committee and folks to vote virtually from their offices or their homes if they would like. And then we're going to debate the budget and committee on the floor. Our goal is to get the budget over to the Senate by tomorrow afternoon. What are some of the biggest issues you're facing when it comes to filling in this shortfall with the budget? We left the legislature in February with the largest reserves in state history. So we could be proud of that, but all those reserves are going to be swallowed up by filling in the holes as a result of the economic crisis and the emergency health order. So we'll be okay. We're not going to cut programs. We're simply not going to fund them as strongly as we would have liked from the February budget. So we're we're going to cut significantly back from the fiscal 21 budget, which kicks off July 1st. Mm-hmm. Now, there is some talk of potential cuts to some of the pay raises for state employees that were passed in the session in January and February. Is that still a possibility or will you guys find ways to ensure those raises? That's going to be the big debate. As you recall, we budgeted a 4% raise for all state workers, much deserved, but we simply can't afford to do that. If we did do that, we'd have bigger problems come January. January is going to be the big budget crisis. So we're debating. I think the governor wanted 2%. Some folks wanted zero. I think we'll probably go with a 1% raise. Okay. Now talk to me about police reform. That seems to be some legislation on deck. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, thank you. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement is strong and the nation's taking big strides forward on a lot of issues. So we're going to do the same. There's a bill to uh, outlaw uh, the use of chokeholds by law enforcement. There's been some unfortunate things that have happened here in New Mexico with regards to that technique. And then also we're going to mandate lapel cameras. There's federal money for it. There's no excuse. It's just the way the profession has gone. 
and every cop needs to have a lapel camera at all times. Can I ask you your thoughts on the incident that happened at the Albuquerque Museum on Monday regarding the Don Juan Onyate statue? A protester was shot. Can you give me some thoughts on not only that incident, your thoughts on the legacy of Don Juan Onyate? It was just heartbreaking that that happened in my hometown. I got friends that are mad that it came down, friends that are ecstatic that it came down. You know, it needed to happen. We, you know, Chicanos in New Mexico have plenty of heroes to honor. We don't need to honor guys like Oñate, who was, even during his lifetime, was disciplined by the Spanish government for his barbarism, you know. So we don't need Oñates to be proud of ourselves. There's plenty of other heroes we can identify. The city did a poor job of managing that situation. It is not a Second Amendment right to conceal carry or to open carry. That's not a Second Amendment right, but it is lawful in New Mexico. Yeah. Concealed carry and open carry, but there's other states that don't have those laws, and it doesn't deprive people of their Second Amendment rights. It doesn't cross that constitutional line, but open carry is just so dangerous because you don't know what the person's going to do. There's been some horrible things happen nationally, and so you don't know if the guy's sane, if he's just showing off, or he's a deranged killer. That's what's the scary part. So the militia guys actually had no intention of shooting. They just wanted to carry out their, I don't know, their army fantasies or whatever. But the guy, Baca, that did shoot, he was out of control. He did not have a concealed carry permit, so he violated that law. Mm -hmm. And then in starting a fight, you can't start a fight, and then when you're getting your butt kicked, shoot somebody. So I think the DA is going to hopefully build a strong case and hold him accountable for that. What do you think about the you know, state legislature making some sort of provisions or laws that really address these situations? Because it creates tense situations when people are peacefully protesting and the possibility for violence like this to occur again. Is the state willing to step in and intervene? That's a great question. I mean, I think folks should be talking to their legislators on the campaign trail between now and November. I mean, clear heads need to prevail I mean, lawful, responsible gun owners shouldn't have a problem with talking about taking those provisions out of state law. It doesn't deprive you of your rights at all. Hunting, public safety, protecting your home, target shooting, whatever. It's just walking around the public square with a, uh, an AK-47 is, is not, a, not a good thing. I understand. And finally, the election's coming up in November. It's coming sooner than we think. The big issue is mail-in ballots. How do you feel? Do you support that measure or not? Yes, actually, I mean... There's a lot of stress over voter fraud. I mean, voter fraud is so rare, so unbelievably rare. And anything we could do to get folks to vote is a good thing. I think mail-in ballots is probably the wave of the future. It's verifiable. It's it's 100% verifiable with a paper ballot. I think what will happen is what we'll do is we'll probably codify in law what the Supremes ruled a couple months back that the Secretary of State should mail applications to every single voter and then we move towards mail-in ballots that way. I don't know if we can get past mandatory mail-in ballots. That's going to be the big struggle. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking a couple minutes to talk to us. I know you have a lot of work to do. Good luck with everything in the special session. Thanks, Admiral. We'll see you soon. All right. That was Representative Antonio Mo Maestas. Are you paying attention to the special session? What do you want to see addressed? We want to hear your take. Call up our hotline, leave a message, and we'll interview you. Call 505-218-7084 or email yournmgov at gmail.com. I'm here with Gwyneth Dolan from New Mexico PBS to give us a little update about what's going on. Gwyneth, thanks for being with me. Well, thank you for having me, Khalil. Now, I've spoken to a few other journalists. We talked about election reform. We talked about police reform. We talked about balancing the budget. What are some other items that may be addressed in this session? You maybe have heard standing as a verb, Mm -hmm. um, which is an 
kind of an easy way to reduce the amount of money that you're spending, not by going into the zillion and one little pockets of money and renegotiating each one, but by kind of taking a little bit off the top of them all. Okay. It's not a perfect way to do things. That's what they're talking about doing for some of these things. You know, one of the things that they have to look at is the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit, which the state has now a legal obligation to provide for students who are at risk. And so cuts to education could potentially be on the table, but they've been ordered by a court to fix these things. So that's going to be pretty tense. It, it sounds like some of the teacher raises for higher education may get kind of squeezed out, which is painful for a lot of people named Gwyneth Doland and others. <laughs> but, but whatever, you know, but they also want to come up with some money to help with the pandemic economic crisis in communities. You know, the governor put on the call coming up with some ways to give some tax relief for small businesses and for individuals. Okay. Waiving some penalties if you're not paying your gross receipts tax, some proposals to take some money for loans to small businesses and cities and towns that have been impacted. You had an interview with the mayor the other day that's going to be on New Mexico in focus on New Mexico PBS. Can you give me a little preview as to some of the things you all spoke about? You know, we had planned the interview to talk about his proposed Department of Community Safety. Of course, the same day he announced that Monday was the day that a man was shot at the protest in Old Town. So many things went wrong on Monday at the protest. A lot of questions about how the police acted that day, where they were, what took them so long to get there, why they had undercover officers there who didn't make themselves known, why they came in with riot police, why they handled the investigation or lack of the way they did. Mm -hmm. I think the community was really upset from a lot of different angles, the handling of the militia. We put a lot of those questions to him and it was pretty difficult. It was a very difficult interview. I'll be honest. Sometimes there aren't going to be great answers, but you got to put them to the there anyway. Yeah. So I think it's an important interview. She is Gwyneth Dolan, correspondent with New Mexico PBS and writer. I want to thank you so much for being with me. Thank you. Gwyneth Dolan interviewed Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller yesterday about the shooting at the demonstration around the Oñate Monument on Monday and the police response for New Mexico PBS. Here's that conversation. Monday night in Old Town, as the protest against the Oñate statue became more tense, uniformed, identifiable city police stayed away from the scene. In effect, leaving a void that allowed these armed militia members to step in. These are people you now say may be designated as a hate group. Why was this allowed to happen? You know, how our city has dealt with protests and situations when these groups show up, it has evolved and we're looking at this, we're trying to improve it after each event. These folks have been at a lot of the protests, a lot of the BLM protests. And basically after the Trump protests, I think that was maybe four years ago, our city took a de-escalation approach to protests, which basically means they will engage as soon as there is a violent act and they'll engage right away. And that was as a response to over-policing and police being part of the sort of escalation problem. And now we come to what happened last week and we actually have the opposite challenge, right? Where we all wish folks were there sooner. But the challenge is oftentimes when they arrive sooner, it actually just makes things worse. 
Well, let me go back just a little bit, because in an interview with Gene Grant two weeks ago, you and the CIO said you expected more incidents with these armed groups. What did you do to prepare? So to prepare, I think two things happened. One, this was, for all intents and purposes, I think our department was expecting a peaceful vigil, and that's what it was. And it quickly escalated, and they were trying to adjust as fast as they could. And so they you know, were able to get the additional teams there minutes before the shooting. The challenge is, you know, we all wish it would have happened sooner, but these protests are messy, and these situations evolve. The man who was shot, Scott Williams, was lying on the ground for several minutes. It seemed like a shockingly long time before officers arrived, and then it was riot police. Is there no in-between here? It's either nothing or riot police come in? So, I mean, the scene was was horrifying. And, you know, what the department has said is there was between three minutes between when people, they were able to come in and help. And that can be a lifetime. And actually, if it had gone even probably a couple minutes more, it probably would have cost a life. The challenge, again, let's remember all around the country, historically, when there's been a few officers there watching, they've become targets or they have instigated others and there's been violence. If your proposed Department of Community Safety had been in place, fully funded, up and running, everything you wanted, would anything have happened differently on Monday night? You know, that department is really meant to reduce the over-policing and trauma that communities of color have seen in their neighborhoods and also free up officers to just do basic police work and not try and have to solve every problem that people call in 911 for. So I think in some ways these are very different concepts, but I like to believe that to your point, there is a way to have unarmed folks available to try and keep the peace at protests. But as you pointed out, when people are there with AR-15s, I mean, an, an unarmed civilian who works for the city isn't really gonna be able to make a difference. But that community safety department, I think does send a strong signal. We need to have the right response at the right time. And that means a trained professional. So one of the things you mentioned you want to do is ask the state legislature to change a state law that prevents you from dealing with some of these militia members and their guns. Is what you're asking for is the ability to take away guns from people who show up to a protest just because they have a gun? Well, we want to be able to regulate firearms at protests in the same way we would regulate firearms at schools or at community centers. And they're not allowed right now. And I think that's the only way where we can actually try and prevent these things from happening. And then it also gives everyone legal reason right away. As soon as somebody shows a gun, you take away that gun. Last question. The Albuquerque Museum Board of Trustees voted last week. They asked you to take the Onyate statue down. Why did you wait? So in Albuquerque, there is a a federal gift act law for public art that says that public art cannot be removed without the artist's permission. And so right after we got that letter said, let's reach out to the artist. And we wanted to have truth and reconciliation dialogue from both parties about this and come up with a resolution, which may or may not have been removing the statue, but to have the community decide what to do because of the deep history of this. Given that there's a man in the hospital with physical wounds right now, was that a mistake? Well, I think we acted as soon as we could. Obviously, if I knew that that would have prevented anything, we would have tried to do it sooner. But the artist gave us permission and then we took it down. Uh, Anything I could have done to prevent that shooting, I wish I could have done. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. That was Gwyneth Dolan speaking with Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller. Thanks very much to our partners over at New Mexico PBS for sharing this with us. We want to hear your story. 
What's shaping you during this time of change? Call up our hotline, leave a message, and we may play your story on air. Call 505-218-7084 or email yournmgov at gmail.com. And we are on Facebook. Look for Your NM Gov and like it. Tomorrow's show, we have more on the special legislative session happening this week. I also talked to two of the organizers of the Juneteenth celebration taking place this weekend. Tune in tomorrow at 7 p.m. Plus, we've got an extra post-session show coming for you on Monday. That's right, just for you. Looking at my desktop, it's about that time for resources. Find a full list of the resources we talk about on each episode and opportunities to donate or help online at bit.ly slash ynmg hub. Be sure to watch New Mexico in Focus on New Mexico PBS. You can see Gwyneth Dolan's interview with Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller. That's 7 p.m. on Friday. Okay, I just realized that New Mexico in Focus airs the same time as this show, YNMG. Hmm. Ah, luckily we have technology available for you to watch one and stream the other. Either way, we have your back. Read the great work by Dan McKay at the Albuquerque Journal. Head to abqjournal.com. We would normally have links to bills on the post online, but there have been some struggles down at Camp Roundhouse today. If we can find them, we'll post them. And if you need a refresher on the legislature, find any of the episodes of this show's pre-COVID era. They're over at KUNM.org, or you can find them in any of our podcasts. Here is now on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays on KUNM's Airwaves at 7 p.m. And as always, you can find the show on KUNM.org or subscribe anywhere, anywhere you get your podcasts. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the New Mexico Local News Fund, and KUNM listeners like you. Your New Mexico government is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco, theme music by Pope Yes, Yes, Y'all, News Rundown, by Hannah Colton and is produced by yours truly. Thanks to Taylor Velasquez and Ty Bannerman for helping with the editing at the show. Thanks a lot, y'all. I'm Khalil Colonna. For everyone here at your New Mexico government, thanks for listening.